can he be successful enough to kind of rip that job from uh, from Latroy Hawkins' cold, dead hands? I really liked that acquisition. I think that he's going to shock some folks. Very interested in Shane Green. There must be like somebody's boss that watches these games through Twitter because damn it, these tweets are out of control this spring. Given the that Tim Federovich or whatever is his backup. By the way, I got to give you credit on Federovich. I know you. I've heard you talk. I do listen to the <laughs> podcast. I've heard you talk about having player pronunciation issues. Welcome to episode 218 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. It's the Thursday edition. I am Paul Spore, joined as always on Thursdays by Mr. Eno Saris. Eno, good day, sir. Good day to you. How are you? I'm in a weird mood. I just watched, uh, I think it's Red Letter or something. It, it did uh, takedowns of the original Star Wars. or the, oh. Not the original Star Wars, the, the, the new ones, the one, two, three. Yeah. I, I'm, listen, there, there was some Star Wars... Let me let me say this off the bat. You were missed in the chat today. I don't know that I was a welcome fill-in on Thursday. You know, Thursdays these these Thursday people they have their routine. They, they expect they expect they, did, they expect beer, Star Wars talk. Apparently, yeah, because apparently the Star Wars trailer dropped, and so um, I decided to just tease them. Uh, with my lack of knowledge about Star Wars, and I said that Spock was my favorite, and that I hope Katniss Everdeen can defeat Darth Vader, you know, things like that. And so, you know. Well, you know, for me, it was a very passionate thing in college when the when 1, 2, and 3 came out because I hadn't actually seen, uh, maybe I, I don't think I saw any of them in, in, in theaters. They, they were kind of late 70s, early 80s things, but... Mm-hmm. Um, I'd seen a lot of them growing up, and so I really was into four, four, five, and six. And so when one, two, and three came out, you know, I waited in line. I, I bought um, the the. They had these cup tops with like Maul and Yoda, and we went to Star Wars to collect all uh, to Taco Bell to collect all the Star Wars stuff. I stole a a sign out of a Taco <laughs> Bell, and um, I mean, we were really into it. And the you know the first one was pretty bad and the second one was so bad that i think i stayed in line for the third one and i was just so angry and so this time around you know jj abrams did a good job with some movies i'm not sure he's gonna knock these out of the park and you know i just watched the a takedown of the first uh the episode one and i'm i'm in this weird mood where i'm like okay i'm a little bit excited i wish i was excited as i was the first time this happened mm-hmm Definitely not going to wait in line, and you know, but I do have to see it in theaters, and I'm a little excited. So anyway, it's it's a weird feeling where like there's still a little remnant of that, you know, belief well, in that, that. At that, least that, it uh, at least it wasn't all killed. I, I you know that that's a good thing. But, you know, based on those first three, at least it wasn't all killed. You know, I didn't watch a ton of movies as a kid, so I I, I missed out. You know, I, I have some vague ideas about them. I can I get a lot of Star Wars pop culture references, things like that. I my brother in law is very much into it. I I actually stood in line for for uh, episode one, but it was only because my friends were going, and I asked my dad if I could skip school that day. He said yes. So you take any <laughs> chance you can get to skip school to hang out with your buds. So yeah, we stood in line, but I didn't know what the hell was going on at all. Um, <laughs> 
you know, so I'm, I'm not like anti, I don't go around, you know, clowning anybody that likes it cause I'm not a jerk, but, uh, it's just, it's just not for me. I do like some of the superhero movies, but I, I wasn't a big comic book guy either. So yeah. that whole genre is kind of lost on me a little bit. So I wasn't able to appreciate it when somebody wrote in all caps, star Wars trailer, star Wars trailer, star Wars trailer, three different times in the chat. <laughs> Uh, I told him, listen, I've never seen Star Wars. Spock is my favorite Star Warer. I said, uh, either him or Thor or maybe Spider-Man, but who can choose? Am I right? So, uh, yeah, that's how I taunted your, your chat. You'll, you'll be very welcomed back next week. Don't worry about that. Uh, I, I, I thought it went all right. once. Once, Plus, I was also on Central Time. I'm thinking noon Central, noon Central. Then Cameron messages me. He goes, hey. Aren't you filling in for Eno? And I look and it's 11, 11. I'm like, oh God, noon Eastern. So yeah, got off on the wrong foot, but I think it all went smoothly. We had a good two, two plus hours with the folks, but uh, they'll be happy to have dad back next week when, when you, when you go hang out with them. <laughs> Let's talk some news. Um, there isn't a ton going on and that's probably a good thing because usually the news is injury related, but we have some call-ups that uh, they're going to generate some buzz, but I'm not sure that either of them are going to generate much in the way of results. I, I'm, I'm more excited about one than the other, but let's talk about the, the for me, less exciting one first, uh, and that's Yasmani Tomas was called up uh, by the Arizona Diamondbacks. <clears throat> Excuse me. We've spoken about him after we saw Tomas in spring training in Arizona, look very Diane Viciedo-esque. Uh, you know, the defense wasn't there. We didn't get to see any of the, the power that is definitely there. I mean, he isn't devoid of skill. It's just not, uh, you know, maybe skill that's commensurate with the 68 million that he received or with some of the draft hype that he was receiving. That's why we're kind of down on him. Additionally, he's been brought up to basically be a bench bat. So not only are you getting a guy that we're still kind of unsure on if, if he can actually hit uh, in the bigs, but what, what kind of chances is he going to get? And we've seen this with guys before, uh, you know, they get these sporadic chances. It's pretty hard to get in any sort of groove. So what are you doing with Tomas here? Are you, are you taking t kindly to this news at all? Or are you just kind of like, eh, whatever. I, I don't get it at all. Like I, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. I mean, it's not like he was, you know, ripping it up down there. And so you call him a bench bat because you don't want, to say where he's going to play yet and you want to see if he can you know play defensively and you, you you don't want to put expectations on his head but he was he was playing pretty poorly in the minor leagues so um you know that, that that's not there's it's not obvious that that's what's going on it's not some sort of subterfuge where it's like we don't want jake lamb to get nervous because he's yeah. playing well you know <laughs> it's uh it like legitimate seems like that they want him as bench bat you know i guess he could come in, you know, and and hit for Lamb against a lefty. Lamb's not really playing against lefties, um, and uh, Tomas is a righty, so he could actually be in a sort of platoon at third. True. Um, and at second, they've been playing Aaron Hill some, um, and and so they're not going to Chris Owings completely. So there is some opportunity for Hill to play over Owings at second. And uh, and Tomas to play at third, but this is all assuming that Tomas can play at third, and I don't think that that's a good assumption because he looked terrible in the spring. Most people say he, he he won't hack it there, and the only people saying that he can do it are are the people who drafted him and paid him sixty eight million dollars. So right, um, you know, I, I I don't I I I don't think he's a left fielder. I don't think he's a third baseman. And if he's a a left fielder, you know, Peralta and Enciarte 
you know, they're they're pretty decent. So that's the thing, and that, that's that that's whose place he's going to take. And it's like, uh, I know Enciarte specifically is off to a good start. Peralta, I kind of believe in in some of the stuff that he was able to do last year. He isn't exactly off to a hot start, but uh, you know, at four for twenty that can turn around so quickly. What one good game and all of a sudden he's he's having a hot start, which is why it's tough to even call anything a hot or a cold start. Um but yeah, I just I don't understand. And you know, I already made the mention of 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 kind of a Diane Vistiato Jr. And, you know, might feel cheap because, you know, okay, they're both Cuban. They're both, uh, you know, built like tanks, a little bit shorter, but but kind of beefed up. Um, you know, it might feel like a cheap comparison, except I, I don't think it is. I think it's completely apt right down to the fact that Vicieto started at third base before it was clear that he couldn't play third base. He played about 25 games there his first year with the White Sox before he was moved to the outfield, and they tried him a little bit at first. So same kind of situation here. And yeah, Vicieto has a 25 homer and a 21 homer season, and Tomas has the power to do something like that. But Vicieto's never had a, a season of of 100 WRC plus, and you know I, I don't know if we can expect that from Tomas either. You know they're both playing good ballparks, so you know it's not like uh, uh, there's any need to kind of compare those two things because they're both going to be having favorable ballparks. So I just think that's a very easy comp. And and sometimes the easiest answer is the right one. Yasmani Tomas, Diane Vicieto, that that's where it is for me. Let's talk about uh, the one that's a little bit more intriguing, a guy that got a lot of uh, preseason buzz, even more than Tomas, and then all of a sudden didn't win a job. And it was Danny Salazar of the uh, of the Indians. He was looking like, hey, close the season well. Actually, let's go all the way back. Had a had a solid 2013 finish. Gets big hype coming into 2014, craters early, goes down, comes back up, and has some success, closes out pretty nicely. So the hype machine starts back up again, but then, like I said, loses the job and has to end up go down, going down to Columbus. Now he's back up. So what we've kind of learned about Danny Salazar is, okay, I, I think he's better than a AAA guy. I think we kind of know that right now, that uh, if there was a league in between, maybe that's where he would fit best. We'll, we'll see if he can hack it in the majors. I mean, he's only 25. I'm certainly not writing him off. But at this very moment, he's too good for AAA. Is he good enough for the majors uh, in your estimation? Or good enough for the majors and also your fantasy team, I think, is more important because he's definitely good enough for the majors uh, when you got – Kyle Kendrick and Jason Marquis hanging out there. I want to know if he's good enough for your fantasy team, 12-team mixed league, you know? <laughs> well, you know, the weirdest thing about Salazar to me is that the the walk numbers have never been that bad. And yet when you watch him, you know it's a command issue. You know, Exactly. He's got great velocity, and his changeup is really nice. And the slider isn't great, but it's not uh, Kevin Gossman bad. It's, you know, it's usually had, you know, decent grades. So... Look at his swinging strike rates; they're great. His strikeout rates are great, and his walk rates are great. So it's you know, and then in the minors, you know, always he's able to keep the homers down. But you know, then he comes to the majors and and people pop him. But you know, I think you know his his projections are 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 exciting, and I think that they're not that far off because they they still project him for a home run per per game or per nine innings, mm-hmm. and um, they still project him for a 3-5 three, three, ERA, or at least Seamer does, and a, and a decent whip. And I think that's the key. I think if he's not – he's going to pitch high in the zone. I think he's trying to set up his um, his changeup to some extent, um, throw high in the zone, also to get whiffs on his on his big fastball. Exactly. 
And uh, and I think that his command is a little bit worse than some of the other guys that pitch high in the zone. He, you know, I think Chris Young, you know, may nibble more and have worse walk rates, but have better command because he hits he hits that sort of pop up spot more than a guy like Salazar. But if you throw in 98, you cover up some mistakes. And uh, I, I'm absolutely interested in him. I, I you know, I, I had that eight dollar uh, Taiwan Walker in in the league where I needed upside. And uh, I hope none of those guys are listening to the, the <laughs> cast because I've got a, a waiver request tonight um, for for Salazar. I won't say what dollar amount I put on it. Um, yeah, we'll, but, we'll keep we'll keep that one secret until <laughs> until you've secured his services. But I, I think that that's a you know if you're ready to get out on Walker and honestly they they're kind of similar in that yeah, I was going to say they that. both have great stuff and they have command issues and. I, you know, if it's a keeper league, you got to hold on to Walker because it's a keeper league. But if it's if it's a redraft league, who knows that Walker's going to keep get it together this year? Who knows when he's going to get it together this year? And who knows where he's going to get it together this year? Because Seattle is trying to compete right now. And Uranus Elias does not have the upside of a Tyler Walker, but he has much better downside. Bingo. Exactly. No, and that, that's the that's the piece that I was mentioning to people who've been asking about Walker, about whether or not they should cut him in a 10 or 12 team mixer. I was like, yeah, I know it's tough to throw that name out there because it's such an alluring name, but uh, let somebody else deal with the headache because I don't think the Mariners are going to give him a super long leash at the big league level. They just can't afford to. So that's a great call there. I do like uh, Salazar a bit. Um, you know, he, he, he can be frustrating because you, you, when you watch him, you see the stuff, it's electric and you get excited about it. But then, uh, you know, the home runs are the, are the big issue. That's, that was the concern I had with him last year. So we'll see. Uh, definitely somebody that I think needs to, to be owned in just about every format. I think you got to take a shot because the upside is so rich with him. So I, I'm sticking with Salazar in a couple of the two leagues where I already have him. And then I did uh, I, three weeks. I cut him in one of them um, just the other day, too. Two days ago, I cut him uh, for a pickup. I can't remember who it was. It was not a, not a great piece, but not somebody with a much lower ceiling than, than Salazar. So make sure you check your wire, see if he's available. He's probably out, on, uh, out there on some leagues. Now, we do have a little bit of injury news. It's Carlos Gomez. He had a hamstring injury, came up uh, short uh, when it, running out a base – or not a base hit, running out a ground ball. Came out of that game, didn't play today, Thursday, the uh, 16th. We don't know if there's going to be a DL stint with it. Uh, just kind of want to get this out there. Th- this is a bummer, though, obviously. Anything in the lower body with a guy like Carlos Gomez, who can dr- derive so much value from his legs, is a bummer. However, what I will say is at least all of his value isn't derived from his legs. Uh, so that's the one thing that kind of has me a little bit heartened by this, is that you know even if he has to play at 85%, um, once this, once this thing is a, you know, game time healed for him, he can still be a big power asset. Uh, but you know, obviously need those steals to recoup the first round value. I just don't think Gomez will be a zero, even if he's playing at less than a hundred percent. What do you think of Gomez? Yeah. I mean, even if he goes for 20 homers and 25 steals, um, as long as he gets that, that batting average up a little bit, he'll be fine. And even even if he only hits like 240 for the season, um, which is possible, he's done that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, 240, uh, you know, 2025 is not going to be the kind of thing that kills your team. And you know, it's a it's a decent it's it probably represents his floor, and that's a decent floor for even for a guy you took in the first or second round. So exactly. he's young enough 
he's young enough that you can hope that this is not you know a torn hamstring or hamstring surgery or anything that's a big deal for the future uh which would which would you know really really cost you so i think that no matter what it's really you know the thing that strikes me is one thing i like to look at early in the early going is swing strike rate and his is up to 16.5 percent and uh, that's pretty amazing. I mean, to have a 17% strikeout rate and a 16.5% swing. Oh my god! Is, uh, is just an amazing thing. It basically means that you're creating almost all your strikes, um, you know, with with swings. I mean, it's, I mean, if you look at his walk rate at 2.9%, I mean, it's a it's a really funky line. Normally, with a 16% swing strike rate, you're you're at 25, 30%. So there's some risk of him sticking around 230, 240 this year if his strikeout rate follows his swinging strike rate is what I would sure. say. Sure. No, that, that, and that's fair. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep that situation monitored. You know, if it is a strain, there's probably going to be a DL stint. But like I said, shouldn't take him too long to get healthy and come back and start delivering value. I'm, uh, he's a favorite of mine. I'm very uh, – lo- love those kinds of skill sets. And like you mentioned with the floor, he, Gomez won't kill you even if he's going to miss some time. We talked about this on Tuesday. And uh, it's already changed for the better, at least in, in our estimation. We talked about Raphael Betancourt getting the first non-Latroy Hawkins save after Hawkins stumbled. Walt Weiss m- mentioned that, yes, uh, Hawkins is out right now, but uh, not going to name anybody. Well, of course, we talked that, that gave us an opportunity to talk about uh, Mr. Adam Adovino. Very next night, Adovino lockdown save and is anointed as the closer. So... We got what we wanted pretty early in the season. You know, it only took till mid-April to get him in the closers role, and so now you got your boy Adam Adovino right where you want him. What I want to ask you um, is if he can actually be like a top ten closer because he's got great strikeout capability. You know, he's been over a strikeout per inning each or at or over it at least each uh, each of the last three seasons. So he's not that super elite guy getting the, uh, you know, 14 per nine like uh, Aroldis Chapman, but he's he's getting you that one per nine uh, or that one per inning at least. Great ratios. Clearly doesn't, or, you know, doesn't seem to have a major issue pitching in Colorado. Are, are, are we about to see the next great closer? Yeah, I think there's more coming. I mean, one of the things that he, he managed to put up the numbers he put up last year at 94 miles an hour, and he's he's actually put up decent numbers uh, even when he bottomed out at 91 miles an hour. And, you know, he said to me, I didn't actually quote it in the piece, uh, but he said to me offline that he's actually happy that, oh, maybe I did put it in, I don't know, he's actually happy that he, that he had those issues. He had some sort of subluxation on the shoulder. That sounds bad, but it's the same kind of thing that Papelbon had. Um, and it hasn't been that big a deal for Papelbon. So um, it's, uh, it may be something way down the line. But this year he says he's been healthy and, and he's ready to go. And the, the, the radar gun proves it. So at 96, uh, 97, and then, um, you know, he's got two or three sliders that he throws. I mean, all that stuff, you know, to me suggests that he's, he is lights out against righties. And then, you know, for the lefties, he's got a, a trick on the on – the, um, the rubber, which we've seen a little bit from from some pitches, where he, he changes the spot on the rubber against lefties, and that gives him a different sight line. It makes uh, the outside sort of the 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 back door uh, sort of breaking ball on the outside corner. I think I'm using the terminology correct. Um, makes that really hard for for lefties to see. So he that opens up the outside corner for him by standing on the third base rubber, and then he's added this cutter, which 
you know, varies from about 89, 90 to 93. It's pretty, it's pretty nasty because all of his, his fastballs, his four-seamer and a two-seamer both have seven, eight inches of arm side run. And the cutter actually cuts in three inches. So that's a 10-inch difference there on a fastball that, you know, is going 93 miles an hour. You know, that's going to be something he can use. It doesn't drop like a slider either. And it doesn't drop into the hitter's happy zone. The lefty hitter happy zone is inside, low and inside. So Speaking of lefties, uh, super early, obviously, eight plate appearances. It's like a nothing sample. I get it. But he struck out four of those eight. And he had 15 strikeouts of lefties last year in 82 plate appearances. So, you know, like I said, I understand that it's a small sample, but it's already trending pretty nicely here. And something like a strikeout rate, that can start to stabilize pretty quickly. And if he's, you know, he's got better stuff already, there's reason to believe in it as not just a a small sample size fluke. Uh, once we start, you know, if we again, if we see it for another. 10 games or so, and he, he puts together another, I don't know, 15 plate appearances against them. That's still only going to be 23, but you're going to really be able to start to say, okay, th- this is something different here. So, And you got to jump quickly with closers anyway, so he's, he's pretty much owned in just about every league. But make sure you check. That's the one thing that I always advise is – do not assume that somebody is owned. You know, maybe you listen to this podcast a lot. So Adam Adovino is a name that you have heard all winter. And so you're like, oh, well, he's definitely owned. Well, what if the rest of your league doesn't listen to us and, and you know, they, they don't know him or they don't want to roster any Colorado pitchers and he's available. So just there's also, check. There's also weekly FAB leagues um, where they're going to be coming up on a decision. So I've been getting some people preparing for that decision, asking, would you drop a Miguel Castro? I would. 100%. Um, you know, you know, who else, who else would you drop, um, uh, that's currently closing, I guess is, is a question. Uh, let's think. Would you drop K-Rod? No. Okay. Would you drop? Uh, well, maybe just because Adovino, I think I, 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 think I would. Pitcher. Yeah. I, I don't, mean, like, don't, I don't think you would need to though. I, I don't, I don't think you would need, yeah. it seems like you wouldn't have to say between K-Rod and him. I think the Castro, yes, that, that one makes sense. And yes, of course I would. Oh, uh, I've been telling people to drop McGee. Some people are holding on to yes. McGee. Boxberger looks nasty, nasty. Uh, he's got what that about, new... what about Doolittle? Cause I, I feel Doolittle will get the job back. So I'd say no there, but what do you think? I mean, it's usually a DL situation, so I would try to keep them stashed on the DL. But if you if it was a one for one, I might just because you know shoulder things are scary. Sure. What you about know, what about Familia? Yeah, I think I would because Pinell's coming. Uh, I don't have a personally a lot of um, a lot of uh, confidence in Familia because I think his stuff is very bendy and he doesn't have much command of it. And then uh, one more. We won't, we won't go through every closer. What about Fernando Rodney, who's been a little bit shaky out the gate? Man, it's funny when you, like, wait. You keep thinking the guy's going to blow up, and then he keeps, you know, he keeps, you know, you know just succeeding despite, de- like, terrible command, and then. <laughs> And then it, but and then it comes quickly though. That's the thing with Rodney. Uh, you know, as a Tigers fan, obviously I saw it firsthand that it can be going well for for a good stretch, and then the bottom can fall out like nothing, like so fast. And then uh, you know he goes out to L.A. and wasn't very good, and then the the Rays get him, and he was otherworldly, and then just good, and then first year with the Marlins, or excuse me, Marlins Mariners, 
very good last year, but he's 38 too. So, and we talk about this all the time, guys that are 35 plus, it can go immediately. It doesn't have to be any sort of decline. Uh, it can just boom, flat go. And I know we're only three and a third innings in. So, you know, I, I'm, I not even, say, I'm not even saying I'd do it, but I'm just saying it's close with Rodney and Adovino for me. Way closer than I ever thought it would be. If, if, uh, if he was sitting 91 or 92, Rodney. But the fact then, that his velocity is there, you're okay with him? I mean, he's still throwing 95. He's yep. still throwing a split finger. The, the difference on the pitches is still the same. Um, I think it's just, uh, you know, he has to get ahead in the count. Uh, to 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 throw the splitter, so um, you know, yes, his command is an issue, and that's probably what's going on right now. I doubt that his swinging strike rate and and uh, and strikeout rate have something to do with the degradation of stuff. I think it's probably that he can't throw the splitter because, um, well, I mean, the percentage on the throwing of the splitter was, yeah, it's down ten percent. I don't think it's that he doesn't want to throw the splitter as much. Not I bet to he, it. he's not getting to those counts. So yeah. Um, I yeah, I would rather you 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 drop someone that wasn't an established closer. But you know, I guess if there was one, maybe maybe he's one. I mean, we've got some shallow league guys that, that have these kind of decisions to make, and uh, you do know that when Rodney, Rodney comes back, he's going to have um, uh, walk issues, and and that'll you know steal value from him. So sure, you know, uh, you know that 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 one's tough. And like I said, K Rod, here's, here's a name. Yeah. Oh, Mark Melanson. Oh, that I mean, it's a no, but I've got Melanson on watch because I am a little bit worried about that velo. I, and I came in super geeked on on Melanson this year. I, I had him just below the elites, right there as as kind of the next uh, next guy to become elite because I really believed in what he's been doing the last couple of years. So I'm not gonna freak out. You know, it was against the Tigers excellent offense that he had his his big hiccup but the velocity has been way down for all of his games and it's not so much that uh you know he can't be successful with lowered velocity like i said he had two you know perfectly fine outings before then and then a, th a third against the tigers um after the blow up but he did have that one blow up and it's not so much that the velocity it's it's what it could mean which is that it could mean that he's hurt so i definitely wouldn't move off of Melanson for Adovino, but I am putting Melanson on a little bit of a watch list. And if I'm in a deep league where I'm, where I'm speculating, you know, maybe I didn't come in with many closers and I, and I have to speculate at every turn. And maybe I already have Adovino cause I speculated very well in the draft and I need another guy. I might start looking at the back end guys in Pittsburgh who could take over if Melanson is in fact in any trouble, like a Tony Watson. And I know he's off to a bad start because of T Todd Frazier had that massive bomb off of him. Archimedes Caminero is a name that's getting thrown around because that dude throws gas. Uh, Rodimus Liz is somebody who I think is a dark horse still. I think we've actually spoken about him on the podcast as kind of their latest reclamation project. So they've got names back there. They, they, they can cover, I think, if, if Melanson does have anything wrong. But I'm just putting up a, a little caution flag on Melanson. I'm not freaking out. I'm keeping all my, my shares of him, and I think it'll be all right. But you, you can't just let that kind of velocity drop go by the wayside. And I think it's been four miles an hour right now that we're talking about with, off of that cutter of his. Yeah, and there's, there's other things, too. I mean, he, uh, he hasn't thrown like a four-seamer this year yet. And um, he used to throw that 10 to 20% of the time. And, you know, it's 
with a cutter and a curve, you've got so much bending going on in the same direction that you'd think that, you know, it might be nice to have something straight or, or something that, you know, goes a little bit in the other direction. So, um, yeah, that, that's a weird, that's a weird thing. Also, you know, a big change in, in direction like that, especially coupled with some bad results makes you think like, you know, why did you do it? Is there injury involved? And his release point has changed. Now, normally when release points change and you're worried about them is, um, when they drop. Okay. You know, because you're, you're, I think that it's it's rare that you're going because your shoulder gets more involved the more up top you are. So if exactly. your shoulder is hurting, the more you kind of drop down the clock face. And um, in this case, he's gone up higher. So, so I not don't know not as alarming, but just something again to note. And and but uh, you know also it is weird because you know that's something that people do when they're looking for velocity sometimes is go over the top. Um, and he still and, isn't finding it. Yeah, he's not finding it, and uh, he's been he's been good uh, to hold on to the um, some of the horizontal movement um, on his on his pitches. They haven't been hurt too badly because you know changing arm slots also changes your movement, um, and uh, it's harder to get some horizontal movement sometimes. Uh, but his 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 cutter is a little bit flatter. I will say that it's about an inch flatter this year than it was um at its best last year or maybe a half inch maybe that's not a big deal uh it's really the velocity that stands out and you know honestly i don't think you need to blow up a lot when you when you lose that much velocity and you're under 90 as a closer i don't think you need to blow up a lot it's not like brett cecil blew up a lot yeah you know it wasn't like they waited two weeks uh watching brett cecil at 88 before they decided to make a change they saw brett cecil once at 88 and they said we and need to said, make a change oh god we're in trouble yeah so mark melanson uh i'm a little bit worried about it and for me archimedes coming here is the guy because um you know tony watson uh yeah yeah okay. tony watson's a lefty and i did a research that that showed that um uh, uh teams are half as likely to to use a uh, a lefty reliever and that's not just like half as likely to use a lefty reliever period because um obviously there there are fewer lefty relievers it's half as likely compared to the population so okay it's really only about 50 15 percent of closers in our history have been lefties and you know it's like about 30 percent of the of the relievers are lefties so um it's on that sort of level uh, so I, I, you know, I know that Tony Watson's been used, but you know, uh, he's been used in the in the eighth. Um, the last last time they won a game, uh, it went Hughes, Watson, Melanson. But you know, every time you see Caminero go out there and not walk a guy, and now he's gone through. Uh, Jeff Sullivan wrote a great piece on this. He's now gone through spring, uh, where he had like 21 strikeouts and one walk. This is a guy who couldn't command it. And uh, he's throwing strikes in the, in the season now, and he's got the most velocity in that pen. And I think the most strikeout upside, you know, Hughes is a veteran um, that he's just a ground made, baller. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, think, I don't think he's in at all. Yeah, he barely made the team. I mean, they, he was one of the last last guys that was on the chopping block. So I know I like his changeup, and in the past he's he's been a fill-in closer um, in Minnesota, or at least been close to that. But here in this bullpen with these arms, it's either Watson or Caminero for me, and I like the righty. 
Uh, it'll be so tempting too to go from a guy at 88 to a guy at 98. I mean, it'll just be like, How you know, you? here's the guy who's throwing like a closer. So uh, I'm not sure that I'm saying that you need to run out and get him. And uh, I think that Lanson versus uh, Automito. I just think that Ottavino has the stuff for right now, and if you actually, if that's a decision you have to make, Melanson versus Ottavino, I think it's Ottavino because uh, Ottavino is the guy that looks like the guy with the, the, the stuff right now. Um, he, he looks great. Obviously, I'd rather have a team where I had both those guys on my squad. Definitely, he looks great. And by the way, I'll clarify something. I mentioned, you know, um, I said Watson's not off to a good start. Again, that's a perception thing because he has a 4.50 ERA, and I mentioned the Todd Frazier home run. He bounced back from that. I think that was on opening day or the, or the second game, and he's got five scoreless, uh, almost perfectly clean, only one hit in, in in those five outings since then for Watson. Now, he hasn't had much of a platoon split either, so I do still like him. I'm with you too, though, that uh, we're really only talking super deep where you have to speculate on either of them um, if you're chasing saves. I don't think even if you're a Melanson, unless – Man, I, I don't know. I, if you're a Melanson owner and, you, and you've got a spot, you, you might want to back him up. Yeah, I, I, I could see that, especially if he's your A closer and then you waited a bit to get your B closer and you got like Addison Reed or something. Then you might want to back him up pre- preemptively so you're not paying a ton of fab for Watson or Caminero. But um, other than that, if you already, you know, you're kind of fine in saves and you, you're kind of taking it as it comes. You don't need to go out and get one of these guys. Yeah, usage suggests Watson, which, you know, that was in the last uh, winning game. But, um, you know, they had other close games uh, where uh, they uh, where they were, you know, they lost to Detroit two to nothing with A.J. Burnett on the mound. And uh, and Kevin Yarrow, uh, uh pitched two innings in that one and looked like uh, a beast. And look like a beast, and 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 that's 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 more in your memory than Tony Watson pitching the eighth of a of a game that ended up. Um, I don't even know if it gave Melanson a save, but no, it didn't. Uh, you know, but uh, a two two nothing, uh, two not, You know, that was a that was a, a loss, but you you still use your good relievers in the eighth and ninth innings when the loss is really close like that. So mm-hmm. I don't think the usage suggests that it's Watson by a landslide. No, I, I agree with that, and. Uh, I- Closing on the pitcher there, we did promise last time that we would finally start talking about some hitters. So that's what we're going to do for our main topic today. We're going to talk some hitters. And, you know, it's just going to be similar to what we did with the pitchers. Has your outlook really changed? These are guys that are rolling hot right now. And all I'm asking is if your perception has changed on them for the rest of the way. Doesn't mean that you're you're extrapolating out what they've done and that you think DJ LeMay, who's going to hit 545 for the season, or that Nelson Cruz is going to hit 90 million home runs. But those are obviously two, and uh, two of the guys that we're going to talk about and a handful of others. We're just going to see what well, – I just got to test the water with you, see what's going on. Did you maybe make a mistake on draft day or did you invest in them enough? Um, are, are you divesting in them because they're so hot? You're going to try to sell high. We're just going to talk about some guys, and we're going to start with one of those ones I just mentioned. It's Nelson Cruz. And and the reason I really want to bring him up is because I was sitting there watching him yesterday in that Dodgers-Mariners game, and I'm just thinking, you know what? I may, I might have made a mistake because I, I just I didn't give him any love this season, and I basically had him at a spot on my list where I almost I, I pretty much knew I couldn't get him. You know, it it wasn't you know comically low to you know something stupid like the 100th outfielder. It wasn't anything like that. 
but it was low to the point where I'm like, you know, for the most part, he's not going to make it to this spot that I have him here, and I don't care. And I'm thinking, and I know it's super early, and I always try to caution against overreacting, but I think I was thinking I was wrong. And honestly, I want to say that you know the fantasy community as a whole, I think, was a little bit wrong on him too, because I f- I don't feel like I was alone in kind of eh, whatever. The 40 homers last year, that's great, but he's going to Seattle. He's 34, etc. Comes out six bombs already. Just looking ridiculous. I know he kills lefties. It's not like he was a schlock against righties last year, though. He was still very good. And the big thing about the Baltimore to Seattle that at least I missed because I, I just I didn't investigate. I just did not study up on him was the fact that he hit 25 of those bombs on the road and a 930 OPS on the road. It's not like he was just feasting on Camden Yards. Cruz was hitting everywhere, but mostly on the road. So, uh, and I think his power can't, you know, they, yeah, Safeco can't rein that in. No, no park, I think, can necessarily rein his power in. So, um, I think I might have missed on him. I, I, I'm already going to say yes for me. I'm already kind of regretting it. My outlook has changed. I think I missed the boat, especially for the price that he was going at. I think there was a chance to get 30 homers um, at the cost of, you know, t- 20, uh, 22 the, in, in some of the drafts that he was going. But I wanted to ask you, have you changed your outlook on him? Or, or what was your preseason outlook? Uh, and maybe you're just justified. Maybe you were one of those few that was still on the bandwagon. How do you feel about Nelson Cruz, you know? You know, I, I did try. I did go and get him um, in my in that score sheet league we're in. Mm-hmm. And in that case, I just wanted him to be, be my DH. It was AL only. And I did actually think that the price had dropped enough where it was interesting to me because – he was attainable. I mean, any anybody that you know that's attainable really is it is interesting sometimes, you know. Absolutely. Uh, because it's it's friggin' hard to make a trade sometimes. Um, so uh, you know, I, I did uh, I did think that that was um, uh, I did think that was uh, that was an interesting trade, and and it's and it's worked out for me. I'm happy about that. You know, I will mention that you know he's he's kind of hit all these homers. Uh, after leaving Seattle, that's true. Uh, that's not, true. He did. I he... really think that that means, you know, everything. Well, because uh, some of them came in Oakland though too. But then all of them came in Oakland and Anaheim. So none of them have come. You know. You know. Here's one thing about about the Dodgers, uh, about Dodger Stadium that I think people don't realize is that it's a pretty good park for power. It, it gets labeled often, I, I hear, as a pitcher's park or, uh, you know, sh- strong neutral park. It, in runs total, it, it does lean a little bit in favor of pitchers. I think it, it rates like a like a, a mid-90s. But for power, from the left side, it's a 128 park factor. And from the right side, which is where Cruz is, it's a 114 park factor. So Where's that? Uh, Dodger Stadium. Oh. Well, which, I, I... Did he do that in Dodger Stadium? Oh, they were in Dodger Stadium. Yeah, yeah, the, the four, Anaheim. Those yeah. Those yeah, four so. were against the, 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 the Dodgers, and then he had two against Oakland. So he's got five uh, – or excuse me, six in five games. Yeah, I mean, I do think that Dodger Stadium is one of the better stadiums he would see, like, compared to what he'll regularly see. Bingo. Yeah, so – That's I, fair. I, that's why I mentioned it anyway. No, no, it, it's, com- it's completely fair. I, I, like I said, I don't think any park is really reining in his pop uh, for a full season – but in terms of the, the 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 explosion that we've seen, you know, again, I don't think he's going to go out and hit 40 again. That's not the perception change that I've had. It's just right. that maybe I should have been more eager to go out and try to acquire these 30 homers when they were available at pick and, 75. 
or maybe you know value the 25 homers that p- people were rejecting him for value those uh, uh, accordingly like you know there's not that many people who are going to hit 25 homers this year. Yeah, I I wasn't even doing that. I, I, it was just a miss. It was just a miss by me. And it's weird. I, I, I guess he just doesn't translate as well to paper. You know, some guys look great on paper and not so much on the field. It's um, the opposite. Yeah, but uh, my uh, I do my trade was uh, Kyle Zimmer, Hunter Dozier, Danny Santana, Nick Franklin. Uh, for Nelson Cruz. Yeah, and I, think, I, I loved that. I, I, I remember yeah, when we, I remember uh, when I, I saw think, it come across the wire. I was like, damn, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, in score sheet, Danny Santana, if he, he shows okay defense, might be all right. Nick Franklin could be, a, you know, these guys could be all right, but none of them are going to be, you know, you know, Nelson Cruz is going to be one of the top three DHs in our league. Exactly. And, and none of those guys are going to be a top three shortstop, third baseman, second baseman, I don't think. so. The bummer for me is that in that score sheet league, I'm on the end that would have to do that trade the other way where I, sh- I would be giving you the cruise type because I'm still in a rebuild mode there. I'm still picking up the pieces from the last, uh, the last owner of that club. But, yeah, that, that was a good deal when you got it, and I think it's looking better by the day now. Uh, and then, now let's talk about the other guy that I mentioned uh, out front there, and it's DJ LeMayhew. He's hitting like nine million. It's ridiculous. Legitimately, he's hitting five fourteen. And yes, we can talk about small samples, but even in thirty-seven plate appearances, you got to give a hat tip for somebody that's hitting five fourteen. That's that's just that's just cool. When you when you can get eighteen hits in your first nine games, th- there's nothing wrong with that. So uh, again, obviously, I'm not suggesting that he can be anywhere near this level or anything like that. But uh, what what is your perception of him? Can he be? You know, even if it's Coors influenced, who cares? Because that's where he plays now. So let's not say that as such a negative because he's going to be playing half of his games there. But can DJ LeMayhew be a starting second baseman uh, in 12-team mixed leagues? I maybe uh, the, 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 there's one thing that I that I really like about his line. Uh, he has the fifth best swing strike rate in baseball this year. Man, so he's dialed uh, in. Two, 2.1% swing strike rate. Uh, Zobris, Lucroy, Iglesias. Daniel what did you Murphy. call him? What was the first guy? Sorry. Zobris. Just, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 anyway, continue. He's playing pretty well, too, by the way. But, uh, uh, Lucroy. Lucro- I like that. I'll, I'll accept that. The, uh, I'm sure our Quebec listeners, our Canadian listeners will accept that uh, as, as, as more correct than Lucroy. <laughs> but anyway, uh, there's LeMayhew, fifth, uh, 2.1%. And uh, the reason I like that is because, uh, so first of all, strikeout rate is um, maybe the quickest thing among hitters to stabilize, and that's that's 100 plate appearances. So um, even then, and this is something that people talk about, and, and, and Cameron wrote about this, it's not, it's not a magical moment at 100 plate appearances. It doesn't become meaningful in the way that uh, – maybe is sometimes suggested what happens at hundred play appearances is that the, the stuff that he's done to date becomes slightly more important than the stuff he's done in his career. Bingo. You can kind of believe what you saw a little bit more. It still doesn't mean that it's going to be that going forward. Right. It, it just means that you, so if he's hitting, what, what about if he's hitting 500 after hundred plate appearances? Well, that can I, can I get excited about that? Or that, that <laughs> well, that's that, the worst. I mean, batting average is I was going to say, yeah, that needs but, to stabilize a lot more too. That, that's all right. I, I was going to put him down for a 600 average this year, but I'll, I'll alter my projection, I guess. <laughs> no, but anyway, back to the swing strike rate. So strikeout rate uh, is 100 plate appearances. So he's not there. He's at 37. But 
Uh, swing strike rate, you, you obviously you get four more pitches. You get four or more pitches per plate appearances. Um, and so he's he's seen uh, 140 pitches and missed three of them. Um, that's that's already uh, that's already uh, that. See, that sounds better, right? So 140. So he's seen 140 pitches, and strikeout rate stabilizes at 100 uh, plate appearances. You know, I, no one's run swing strike rate. I don't know why. I, I, I've been looking for it, and maybe I'm, I'm gonna make Derek Carty do it, but because um, he's got a, he's got a script for this, but. We don't know when strikeout rate, uh, swing strike rate stabilizes, and it's not. You can't just say four more pitches, so 25 plate appearances instead of 100 plate appearances. It, it doesn't work like that, especially sure. since you don't see. You know, you have different swing strike rates against fastballs and breaking balls, and you don't necessarily you don't you don't see like four sliders per plate appearance, right? So, um, you know, there are peculiarities of the different plate appearances that he's in that could have created this. So you can't. It's probably not. Uh, 25 plate appearances, but you know we might be. Get, you know what? I'll say this: He is going to have the best strikeout rate of his career by far this year. Oh, I like and that. I don't think it's going to be 8.1 percent, but I'm going to take I'm going to take the under on this 14.9 percent. Um, that's the zips updated for the season. Uh, the 15.4 percent. That's the rest of season zips. 15.9 percent. I think all of these are way off because you you look at his minor league career. He had years where he struck out 10. 10 11 percent of the time so i'm gonna i'm gonna give him a 12 percent rest of season strikeout rate and i think he's gonna end the season uh around 10 uh 10 11 percent strikeout rate which you know with his customary 320 330 babbit uh that's gonna he's gonna have the best uh batting average of his of his career this year too okay i can get behind that so uh is, that's a change in in your perception i imagine from where you where you were valuing him earlier well, right I mean, you know, I would always, I've always perceived him as a batting average only guy, and um, I don't think that one steal in, in, at this point in the season really changes uh, that much about it. But I will say that I've thought of him as a batting average only guy that might hit around 280. This year, I think um, he's more of a batting average only guy that could hit 300, so or, or better. So, um, you know, that's even that's if it's great. empty. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no, you're right. Even if it's empty. Even if it's empty. That's got value today. That's just the offensive environment that we're in. You can you can find some good value in an empty 300, and it might not even be that empty because again, Colorado's there. He could get lucky. He could pop a few extras over, and instead of the five homers that we saw last year, now we're up to nine. You know, uh, he's been batting low, so the runs and RBIs probably wouldn't go too much higher than than 50s, 60s. But uh, yeah, th- there's 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 a chance for some value here. 16 people. Hit 300 last year. That, that that's crazy. And how many of them were second basemen? Altuve, I know, but uh, yeah. who else? Altuve was the guy. Harrison might have been for some. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Cano, um, you know, and he might be a little bit empty, like uh, Melky Cabrera. You know, 16 homers, six stolen bases. You know, might, that's still, that's 22. Those. That's 22 combined homers and stolen bases, and. I think LeMahieu might be more like 15, so you know even Melky was had a little more uh, meat to him. But uh, Lucroy, if he wasn't a catcher, 13 homers, four stolen bases, 301 average. Uh, you know LeMahieu could do something like that, not with the 13 homers, more like 13 steals, four homers, that kind exactly. of thing. But, exactly. But that kind of line, Lucroy last year, 301 batting average, 13 homers, four stolen bases, 75 runs, 70 RBI. I think all of those are in play for for um, 
LeMahieu this year. Well, and if LeMahieu continues to hit, you know, because I mentioned that he has been batting lower, he can move up. I, I, yeah. I think I think that there is room for him to move up. Obviously, they they got the heart of the order pretty well set, but I don't think it's out of the realm that he could he could start creeping up. Maybe it's only to six, but maybe you know it, I don't think it's crazy to suggest that if if Charlie Blackman didn't get going or something that they would flip him up to up to the number one spot for Lemayhew, and then all of a sudden the runs uh, the runs potential goes much higher. So. That one's kind of the the five percent possibility there. I'm not really putting much much stock in that one, but moving up slowly to seven, the seven hole, the six hole, incrementally adds to those runs and RBIs there. So DJ LeMay, he's definitely someone uh, that that jumped on my radar. Now, unfortunately, he's picked he's, up everywhere, but I've been I've been looking at him as a, a DFS play. I got two of the multi-hit games, so I'm pro DJ LeMay right now. And and in terms of uh, he probably jumped a tier. Um, he used to be in tier five with, uh, you know, Scooter Jeanette. I think actually that was a good place for him to be put. Um, who was it? Scott Strandberg put him in tier five with Scooter Jeanette. And I think that makes a lot of sense, um, given their histories, but I think he, he might've jumped a tier now up to sort of Martin Prado. Okay. Uh, Martin Prado, uh, Micah Johnson, that, that sort of tier. And, um, if you don't actually need the steel upside that Micah Johnson provides, um, I don't think really think too much of Micah Johnson as a hitter. Me neither. And, I'd prefer LeMahieu at that point. Right, and he's you, you might you might have to you know you might hurt a lot for those twenty five stolen bases that Micah Johnson gives you when you wouldn't hurt at all with uh, LeMahieu giving you ten to fifteen. So now next up, uh, I probably could have put the entire Royals team on this list. <laughs> but uh, you know, you, you've you've made your you've said your piece about Mike Mustakis. We we discussed him very very thoroughly. So he doesn't get to make the cut here. And Kendris Morales, he didn't get to make the cut either. Not that we've talked a lot about him, just that he didn't make the cut, plain and simple. But two other guys that are that are raking for them right now uh, did make the cut. And we're going to start with Sal Perez, who's off to a fantastic start. You know, he, he he's. Somebody that I think a lot of people really liked coming into this year. I thought he was going, you know, at a, at a pretty high price, but uh, because he plays all the time, you can guarantee that. But it, that's almost a detriment at this point. You know, he had 150 games last year plus the playoffs. Uh, the whole talk now is: is he playing too much? Is he going to wear down? So he still hasn't sat this year, I don't think. Uh, he's got three homers, 364 average. He's he's raking right now. But where are you on Sal Perez? Because this is another guy I was pretty tepid on uh, among catchers. Um, I do play in a lot of OBP leagues, and I think that's part of it because I don't think uh, you know he's not he's not a huge OBP guy. He had a 289 last year. That's that's garbage. So um, that that part of it is probably why I I generally lean away from him. But uh, if you're talking about a batting average league, I know again he only hit 267 or no excuse me he hit 260 last year. I, I know he only hit 260 last year. But he was a 300 hitter before that, and I think he might have worn down last year. So if he's if Sal Perez is managed better, um, I think that that could really change his fantasy numbers. But I'm, are you seeing a big big breakthrough here? I, I hesitate to call last year a breakout, even though 17 homers and 70 RBIs were career highs for Perez. He had a 692 OPS. So I think something with those same kind of counting numbers, but with his usual 290-plus batting average, I think that would be a breakout. Do you think we're going to see one from Sal Perez this year, or is Ned Yost going to wear him down to a nub? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was really worried, especially since he got hit in the, the playoffs a couple times. And yeah. There were a couple times when he looked a little gimpy. 
Um, you know, he's 24 years old, though. So, you know, maybe this is something to worry about when he's 28, 29, 30. And uh, he's making good contact. Um, he's actually, you know, if you want to believe anything, um, you know, there's another the other small sample thing in hitters that becomes stable quickly is ground ball rate. Um, and uh, he's hitting the fewest ground ball rates uh, of his career so far. And he's changed those a little bit. And um, he has got that in common with his other teammate that we're going to talk about in a second. So, you know, there could be some sort of hitting philosophy, um, hitting coach work that they've been doing. They've, you know, as a team, they've hit too many ground balls in the past. Mm-hmm. And this would be a really welcome change for them, I think. Um, and uh, and we and we know that that hitters hit fewer ground balls as they age. So it's like, you know, a lot of this stuff makes sense. This is how people put on they put on pounds. They, they understand the strike zone better. They make more contact. You know, that's how they peak. This is how hitters peak. They get bigger. They hit more fly balls. They go further. They know when to swing better. Um, and he's showing most of those signs. The only reason that we were skeptical was that he never, you know, understood. He never took a walk. Uh, <laughs> Not at which all. Can be, uh, which can be overrated in that, yes, it's, an, it's a valuable moment, but you can be a valuable hitter without them. Exactly. Adam Jones. And, and then, you know, the other piece, us worrying about his plate appearances and his health, I think, you know, we should probably just remember that good health begets good health. And, and you know, we haven't seen him start to get – he hasn't actually – like, even though he got hurt in the playoffs, he kept playing. Exactly. And we haven't seen him sit for a lot of reasons. And, and so. he, he was no doubt playing hurt at times last year. There's no way a catcher makes it through an entire season where he's not feeling hurt and could have asked for a day off and been granted that, but he plays through it. And that can help the, you know, the, that playing time piece, as well as the part that you mentioned with regards to uh, not taking a walk, both of those pieces can help with him uh, with, with his fantasy numbers because of the counting numbers, you know, yeah. if you, okay, sure. It'd be cooler if you took walks, maybe got on base more, but instead it's that ground out to second base that drove in the runner from third. And so he's getting some extra RBIs. You know, that's anecdotal. That's a, that's just a, a one-off scenario, but it can add to it. So um, Perez, I didn't get him anywhere. I, I'm not super angry about it. I, I do worry that he'll get run down, but I, I like watching him excel. He's a, he's a very good player and I'm pleased with it. This next guy, the, the, the teammate though, oh, by the way, uh, on your piece regarding ground balls, they're hitting the fewest in the league this year after the sixth most last year. And again, super small, you know, we're just getting going on the sample, but you said that that stabilizes quickly. If and on a team level, there's, that's a ton of balls it's, and it's, and it's very much, it's, it's not exactly the same team, but it's pretty close. It's yeah, it's pretty darn close, exactly. Um, and this guy is somebody that and they lost. Of, I mean, the guy they lost was a big ground ball guy, Billy Butler. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. They got they got uh, rid of that, could their, be, that could be part of it. Actually, yeah. we're talking about we're talking about more fly balls, but so, still, the, these two guys. You, you get the lead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. This is the other guy who's definitely driving it the other way, though. So yeah, Billy Butler certainly helps, but he doesn't send you all the way to first uh, or to last place in ground balls by getting rid of Billy Butler. So it's definitely right. a team change. And Lorenzo Cain has been a big part of it. This is a guy I desperately hope has a huge breakout. It's not even because I'm super invested. I I didn't get him. Uh, I don't even think much at all. I think I only got him one spot. But 
I just love the way he plays. I just I, I want him to be a, a stud player. He he looks the part. I, I feel like there's more to his game. Only five homers last year. I feel like he can do more power than that, or have more power than that. Display more power, I should say, not do more power. Sweet way to talk, you idiot. Uh, anyway. 301, 28 stolen bases. You love both of those from Lorenzo Cain. He only his first year above 500 plate appearances, though. That's what had pe- some people pressing the brakes on him, and I was one of them. I'm a little bit worried that one of my favorite things about him, his defense, can be as undoing um, offensively because it can put him, it can it can get him hurt. And obviously, it's a similar situation with uh, Sal Perez or any catcher is that they're always a danger behind the dish, but it's not always a. a the same situation with a fielder because some guys don't really care that much about fielding. He definitely does. That drives Lorenzo Cain's overall value. Are you worried at all about anything like that? And has his fast start changed your perception at all? He has, uh, he had a homer today, so he's got two homers. I think he's got 12 RBIs maybe. And just, you know, just tearing the cover off the ball. And like you mentioned, his batted ball profile is vastly different. 51 ground ball percentage last year, 37 this year. And uh, also walking a lot more, 10.5% walk rate, 13.2 strikeout rate down from 21.5. So lots of good indicators early on for Kane. How much of it's believable, though? I think so. If you if you do some bad math here, you probably you'd probably say that we can believe, you know, 25% of his of his batted ball difference right now because when he gets to 100 uh, plate appearances. Um, you, you actually, it's not play appearances. Oh, that's interesting. It's 109 balls in play. Okay. Uh, ground ball stabilizes at 109 balls in play, which is actually a lot more than hundred plate appearances. So we're not that close because I mean, how many balls in play does he have? Let me see here. He probably, uh, he has uh 17 or 27. And then a handful more today. I think okay. he, I know he hit a I know he hit the bomb and then let me see if he hit anything else that wasn't Still, yeah he's like a quarter of the way to and that's a quarter of the way to fifty percent so I okay. mean you could say you can almost believe you know ten percent twenty percent of what's going on right now so um, you, I think you want to see him hitting fly balls for another you know a couple of weeks before you get into it I mean if he's got twenty seven so far um, you know after a month. He might be halfway there. It's really kind of a two-month thing for a ground ball rate, okay. um, it sounds like. But still, one of the better earlier things to stabilize. It's nice to see his swing strike rate is down uh, from last year. And, you know, it is, it is, it, this is a little bit less, uh, you know, sort of quant and a little bit more anecdotal. But, you know, it, it's kind of interesting to think about the role that health has in the development. So, you know, I don't want to give him credit for being hurt, but I also know that, A, he just started playing baseball in high school. So he's not he's not a guy who's been learning this his whole life. He got cut from the basketball team, and there's a great Andy McCullough piece on this. He got cut from the basketball team, and he was so mad about it that he didn't want to go play JV or third team or whatever. He went over to the baseball office and said, I don't know about baseball, you know, do you have a glove for me? <laughs> Teach me. That's so great. God, I, I'll, re, I'll read that. I'll pull up that story and I'll link it uh, today in the post because, yeah, that's that's awesome. I, I had not heard about that. I had to explain to him what, like, that you had three strikes and there were three outs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Could you imagine being so 
athletically talented that you can just go and say, you know what, I'd like to play this sport. As long as you teach me, I'll be good enough to get it. That <laughs> yeah. would be amazing. I'm certainly nowhere so, near that. So if you count – so let's say you count those missed years back you know, from high school down to – I don't know. I mean, when when do we start giving people credit for developing their baseball skills? You know, T-ball? Yeah. Uh, but in any case, uh, let's say he's missed five, ten years down there. And then, when, you know, in these critical moments in the minor leagues and in the major leagues when he's supposed to be in his peak and supposed to be really learning baseball skills, he gets hurt a lot. He's losing development time there, too. So, you know, in terms of learned baseball skills... He's probably like a 23-year-old. Okay, that, you know that, that makes sense. I'm, I'm obviously guesstimating. There's no sure, way. Sure, sure. There's no way you can nail this number down. But you know, let's say he's a 23-year-old, 24-year-old in terms of learned skills. You know, that's going to be bad for him in his career because his he's athletic talents yeah. are going to go down before his learned skills really hit their peak. But in terms of you know, when you might judge a single player's peak, I feel like it's not that crazy that a guy with his background would peak at 29 versus peak at, you know, 25 or something. Like a guy like Stanton has been playing his whole life. I saw an aging curve recently um, uh, on Twitter. Oh, man. Um, well, I'll link to it in a piece. Hopefully he publishes it soon so I can okay. give him proper credit. But uh I saw one, uh, two aging curves, one for below average strikeout rate and one for uh, above average strikeout rate. And um, the above average strikeout rate guys uh, peaked right away and went down. And the below average strikeout rate guys, you know, had a little bit of development time and then they, then they went down. They went down more softly than the above average strikeout rate guys. So, uh, you know, it's not that crazy to think a guy like Giancarlo Stanton, who's probably been playing his whole life. I don't actually know his, his backstory, but let's, let's just assume he has comes into the league you know he's striking out a lot he's super athletic you know and super big that he might you know peak early and, mm -hmm. and peak at 24 25 whereas a guy like lorenzo kane who has a, a broader skill base um and less development time under his belt um and and less strikeouts that he might have a different development path so you know I, I could see this being his career year. I, obviously, health is still the question mark, and it, that was really the biggest question mark for me. I'm really happy that nobody in my dynasty league took him off. Uh, took me. It took him off my hands. So right now, uh, I'm sitting pretty with him in center field. So very nice. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes don't you just get lucky. You yep. Know? Sometimes the best trades are the ones you don't make. It's a cliche because it's true. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's that's a great call. And like I said. I didn't get as invested in him as I would have liked because I do really like the player and I had the same injury concern that you did. But I'm, I'm just psyched that he's raking so far, and I really hope Lorenzo Cain has a big year. Uh, we're going to pair these next two together and then get out of here because we're, we're running up against a little bit, and they're both second basemen, so I think it kind of works. Uh, Devon Travis and Jonathan Scope are both off to very nice starts. Now, Travis is a rookie uh, who came over from the Tigers in the Anthony Ghost trade and is is starting out of double-A, basically. He, he finished in uh, Erie last year with the Tigers, which is double-A. He hadn't played any triple-A. However, he's a little bit older because as a college product, so he was always a little bit old for his age. So I feel like they were able to trust him with that jump. So far, so good. That doesn't mean that it's going to 
keep all year. And in fact, I, I guarantee he'll hit some some walls uh, as every rookie does. But so far, it's been really nice for Travis. I think the impressive part has been the pop because I feel like a lot of people probably drafted him for the speed element and he doesn't have a stolen base yet yet he's got two homers uh six runs and ribbies in that uh in that toronto offense which is just going to be sick this year and then on the other end is jonathan scope who we saw last year and you know the one thing we saw was the power and but that was it 16 bombs but a 209 average you know lots of strikeouts seemed to just kind of be swinging from his heels to try to try to go yard and it worked you know at least to that degree 16 bombs but Everything else was pretty awful, so he was going super cheap this year. He's back at it again this year with three bombs so far, but much better supporting numbers. So at age 23, I don't think it's crazy to see Jonathan Scope improving. I just – I don't know how quickly it's going to come, if he's going to have a full season of quality or just be a step or two better than last year and then have a breakout. But I watched Scope play and the, the power. It's he's so big. I mean, he he looks huge, and it's more his weight than his height. I think he's only six one, six two, but he looks like he's like two thirty. He's built incredibly, uh, whereas Travis is a smaller guy. Uh, but both of these guys playing well right now. Has your perception changed on either? I didn't invest in either of them anywhere. Uh, I'm not really regretting it or anything, but I'm watching both of them perform, and I'm uh, and I'm coming away a bit a bit impressed. I'm really glad you mentioned the size aspect because it is interesting that Travis had better isolated slugging percentage numbers than Scope uh, at every stop in the minor leagues. All he did was hit. And and, and they're not that far away in, in age. I mean, Travis is 24. Scope is 23. You know, I think that uh, I think you look at a small guy and you just don't think that there's going to be as much power coming out of that. I think it's. I, you know, I did some research. We talked about this about pitchers with tall pitchers. People think that they're going to have more velocity and this and that. And then once you get to the big leagues and you look at at, at pitchers in height, there's no correlations anywhere. Oh wow! You know, you know, they're they're just pitchers. They, you know, they're short or tall. They're whatever. They they made it to the big leagues. So I think that maybe when you're drafting a guy and you don't know anything about him, maybe you're getting a guy out of the Caribbean or you, you're getting a guy out of high school. Maybe it does matter how big they are because you have to talk about projectability. Sure. And, you have to talk about things you don't know what their stats mean, so you can't talk about their stats, so that sort of stuff. But I think when you start to evaluate a guy like Travis versus a guy like Scope based on minor league numbers, which are actually de- of decent quality, I think you can start to put away some of the stuff like, oh, well, Scope is taller and bigger. Well, you know what? Travis is, is better with the plate discipline. He's shown better uh, power numbers in the minor leagues. And so what that he's 5'9"? So I, I think... Um, I like Travis a little better. I don't know if it's 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 real game bias coming in because he's he's got better play discipline. He doesn't strike out as much. But it, here's a, something for you that might be interesting. Travis has has hit the ball further than anybody in baseball this year. Holy smokes! His his average batted ball distance is like 340 feet. Obviously, that's not going to hold all year. The the best at the end of the season is around 310 or something. But yeah. He's smoking it, and it's not just the two homers. I, I you know, I, I don't know why. Has uh, he been Blue robbed Jay's a couple Twitter, times? Blue Jays Twitter is like a, is like a, is I'm close to Blue Jays Twitter for some reason. <laughs> Maybe I can blame Drew Fair Service, but uh, the Blue Jays Twitter, uh, I meant I noticed they they were like, it's not just the two home runs. He's hit the wall two or three times. Yeah, 
Yeah, I feel like he's been robbed on a couple of stingers too. Yeah. Or may, maybe not even robbed, but just atom balls that were like the guy had to, uh, you know, go to the track for. I guess that wouldn't be an atom ball, but, you know, just yeah. really well struck out as well. And because yeah. I know he was robbed twi- uh, once that I can think of because I had him in DFS that day and I, every, the world revolves around me. So if it if it relates to me, then I remember <laughs> it. Um but yeah, he he really is stinging the ball out there. Travis is, and the thing of it is, the guy he was traded for, Anthony Ghost, is is doing a, a great Michael Brantley impersonation for the for the Tigers, and I, I pick him specifically because they look alike, which I tweeted out uh, over the weekend. They really look alike, and everyone's saying, "Hey, Brantley's out with the back." No, he's not. He's in a Tigers uniform, raking. I I, I watched it, but uh, no, both those dudes are playing well. That trade could be a, an ultimate win-win. So far, it is. We'll, we'll see how it carries. Um, I, I've definitely changed my perception of Travis a little bit. I, all I'd ever seen him do was hit, uh, but I know that he didn't always get favorable markings on the scouting side. It's a, an, analysts, prospect mavens, they didn't always love him. You know, he was kind of a default high prospect for the Tigers because they didn't have a ton. I believe there was some laughing a bit when he was the number one rated guy at, at, at uh, Baseball America, um, and yet. He's playing well so far, so we're, we'll see. We'll, I guess we're going to see if uh, if the Tigers traded a top prospect. But again, I think they got a nice return anyway, so I think that could be a win-win trade. Scope, I think, is still just the raw power. I really, I, I'm impressed with it, but I think it's going to be more of a, a stair-step sort of situation with him, where he's going to take a couple steps forward this year. I mean, he had a 67 OPS plus. I'm on BREF right now. Uh, I think he's going to take a few steps closer than that. You know like in the nineties or something, which obviously is still below average, but it won't be as putrid. And then age 24, 25 is when we could see scope breakout. Whereas Travis could be more of the, the instant breakout, I think just based on what he's doing. Cause like I said, we haven't even seen him start running yet. And it's not like he's a Micah Johnson kind of burner, but he is a 20 stolen base kind of speed guy, at least from what I've seen. Yeah. I'm going to say that I would, of these two, I'd rather have Travis. Yeah. And uh, it's just because, you know, I I I get nervous about swing strike rates. I've been I don't blame talking you. This entire episode about why. So, yeah. um, but uh, you know, nine percent out of Travis is 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 easily going to translate to at at very worst a twenty percent strikeout rate for me. It's a, it's it's a league average thing or better. Um, so I think I, you can almost believe his strikeout rate right now. So his batting average is probably going to be better. He has. Uh, like we've been talking about, similar power. Maybe not as maybe not as many home runs, but then he's gonna have a softer landing because of the, the stolen base numbers. And and you mentioned the uh, the ISO coming up, and maybe people don't check isolated power, which is slugging minus batting average. Just look at the raw numbers. Uh, Travis had 16 homers in 2013, and and 10 in just 100. If I'm the Blue Jays, I, I can find a spot for Travis higher in the order easier than I can uh, if I'm the Orioles trying to, to put scope at the top. Because I, I don't think anybody's going to put a guy with a 3% career walk rate at the top of their order. Oh, hell uh, yeah. You're 100% right there. Yeah, so so lineup, lineup favors Travis. Speed favors Travis. Batting average favors Travis. Scope's got the power, but um, I don't know how much it'll be by. And, and It's not enough to carry the day. And then – like you said, the lineup piece is huge, too, because that's the RBIs and runs. So we're going to give it to Travis on that one. So there's some hitters. We, we told you we'd talk some hitters. That we, we, we will continue to do that. But uh, we do love to talk pitchers, especially early. It's just much easier to draw things from a couple starts if things are changing, whereas hitters – we really need more data, but uh, we'll, we'll probably talk pitchers on Tuesday. I'm not even going to lie. 
but we'll fit in some hitter news, and, and we will not be a stranger to the hitter. Uh, in the meantime, you can reach us both on Twitter. I'm at Sporer. Eno's at Eno Saris. That's S-A-R-R-I-S. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We greatly appreciate that. Jason Collette and I will be back on Sunday, but until then, Eno, I will talk to you later, sir. Yes, it's always been a joy. Take care.